Good evening to another edition of the JMU Sports Blog Podcast. I'm Todd. I'm joined as always by my buddy Rob. I hope you're doing okay, Rob. I'm doing all right. Hope everybody out there is doing okay too. Yeah. I hope everybody's recovered. Um, getting that first can pop early tonight. Uh, <laughs> I think before we start, we should uh, I think there is an explicit rating on the Anchor website, but we should warn you there may be some adult content. So if this is not your thing, uh, you might want to look elsewhere tonight. No. Can we clarify what we mean by adult content? <laughs> yes, I yes. Mean, there's, there's different levels here. Yeah, a murder took place on Saturday, and we're <laughs> going to be covering that story live yeah. on the 6 p.m. news here tonight. So, yeah. Um, no, we're, we're joking. We're going we're gonna to have a good night tonight. Um, as always, rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Uh, five points, five stars for the JMU Sports Blog podcast. We are really excited. Uh, we're going to have a great guest next week. So haven't done that in a little bit, but we are thrilled. We've had some conversations about this one. This is a uh, one of our all-time favorite Dukes, sort of a past legend, a developing into a present legend. And, and I think we would all hope maybe continuing to be a future legend. So we're really excited about that. We will uh, have a little more about that next week, next Monday, I guess. Um, as always, we are brought to you by Pale Fire Brewing in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Pale Fire still excited about homecoming, as are we, despite this weekend's result. We are going to be doing something with Pale Fire the night before homecoming that Friday night. So hope to see a lot of you down there. Please come and join us. Say hi. I don't know. Maybe we'll come up with something if you wear your JMUSB t-shirt. We'll see. Uh, so we're ironing that out. We'll have a little more. We'll keep hyping that the next couple of weeks. And big thanks to everybody who's given us overtime topics. Uh, we chose one tonight that had been, has been uh, put forth a couple of times. But everybody that's been putting them in on Twitter, you can always follow us on Twitter at Jamie Sports Blog. Find us on Facebook as well, uh, the Jamie Sports Blog page. You can like that for all of our content as well. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But we are going to start with the first home loss of the Mike Houston era, the first CAA loss of the Mike Houston era. We're going to do four downs as always. We'll see if concerns, we have two, or if they bleed into four themselves, um, depending on what our four downs are. And we have a little comfort food for overtime tonight. So we'll be looking forward to that. Rob, you want to get us started on the 27-24 loss to Elon? Oh, man. Where, where do we begin? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess... One thing I don't, I'm not sure if this is a great one to lead off on, but I think you and I probably see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. The post game and in game uh, kind of nooch blaming, yeah, is is just unfathomable to me. Like I don't mean to sound like a know it all, mm-hmm. but I I really do not understand how anybody could watch that game and have the takeaway be like, oh, you know what, that QB, that's why. Jamie lost, or, or that's the key piece that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, I, I'm not saying this guy is, you know, Dan Marino or Kurt Warner or, or Drew Brees, who I think just broke the record, by the way. <laughs> um, but, but the guy, the guy is playing well enough for the team to win. Um, I don't think it's fair. We saw this with Brian Shore when he came in. The expectation that immediately the guy replacing a legend is going to be right. There will be no drop off. There will be a drop off. There has been a drop off, but it has not been nearly as far as I thought it would be. And in many ways, he's added some some stuff to the offense. Uh, I hear the, the 
there's somewhat valid criticism that at times maybe him locking in on receivers or at times him holding on to the ball too long. But he also was running for his life, extending plays. He threw for over 300 yards. He led two fourth-quarter scoring touchdown scoring drives. Might have been on his way to a third to ice the game. I mean, he was not the problem. He was the solution on That's, Saturday. Yeah. You know, it's just, I, I, I don't get it. Like, yeah, he's got like kind of a weird release. Well, who the hell cares? Uh, we're not here to break down mechanics. Um, right. I'm, I'm not really caring about his pro potential or anything like that. He's doing enough to win the game, you know. And on a day when JMU, who has a stable of running backs, who we all rightfully brag about constantly, none of them could do anything. <laughs> Trey Sharp led the way. What do you have? 33 yards on nine carries. Mm-hmm. Um, Cardon Johnson had about that. Marcus Marshall did virtually nothing. It was just a rough day. Uh, they mm-hmm. weren't getting blocking. The pass blocking relative to the run blocking was better, but it still was not good, was nowhere up to Jamie's standards. So I just, uh, there were many, many things that went wrong on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Nooch kind of made me forget about some of them during the game. So I, I was really blown away when people were so hard and be like, oh, Cole Johnson would have done this. We have no idea. All we know about Cole Johnson is he's looked pretty good in mop-up time. And he's the backup QB. Therefore, by this weird phenomenon of football fans, we tend to give backup QBs the biggest benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise. It's mm-hmm. like it's like reverse of everything else in society. Right, right. Um, you know, it's like you can do no wrong because we haven't seen you do wrong. Right. Um, I, I like the guy. And full, full disclosure, for whatever reason, maybe because what I just said, I was actually rooting for him to get the job. I thought it was cool, the idea of a homegrown quarterback and so on. Mm-hmm. But, but he didn't. I've got to assume – like Coach Houston and Donnie Kirkpatrick and guys who know way more about football than I do are not starting him for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not able to do some of the things that Nooch can do. So I, of all the things that I thought were frustrating and annoying and puzzling about Saturday, the fan base's reaction to Ben DiNucci was one of the most puzzling to me. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I, you know, it's weird. I, I, neither one of us got to watch the game in person this week. And as, <laughs> needless to say, the, uh, the coverage of the game was not the best, and you don't no. get—you obviously don't get to see the receivers. Um, there's, there's so many. We, we're not going to talk about refs really tonight. Uh, I, you have to wonder if they even saw the angle from behind the play when they called Brian Shore down. You, you know, Ben Denucci. Yeah, Ben Denucci. Sorry. Um, okay. Yeah, there I go. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to wonder that. I mean, look, the refereeing was what CA refereeing is. JMU did not lose the game because of the refs either. They, no. And they didn't lose the game because of the passing game. They lost because they averaged like two yards a carry and they let Marcus Summers run for like a country mile. You and know. let receivers consistently get behind the coverage. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- th- this was a game, and as you said, Ben DiNucci led two touchdown drives and would have been a third to ice the game, but for a fumble from a young player. And, you know, we're, this, ifs, ands, or buts don't win this game. Um, JMU was outplayed. They were... And I guess my second, but Rob, I think you're right. And before we move on, just you wrote, I thought your piece was really good. Anybody hasn't read it from yesterday. Uh, Rob's piece was a very measured breakdown of the breakdown <laughs> this weekend. And one thing you said is he doesn't have to be Vad Lee or Brian Shore or Rodney Landers. He just has to be Ben DiNucci. Yeah. And we shouldn't expect that in his fourth or fifth, you know, what, fifth start, fifth, sixth start. Of, of his career at JMU. 
And I, yeah, I felt like you. I felt like he was keeping plays alive and, and making plays that were there to be made once the wheels, you know, the training wheels were taken off a little bit late. I, I guess my expectation coming into this season would be like, you know, a, a big game for him in this offense would be 250 yards. Mm-hmm. And more than likely, you know, we'd have 200 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're getting 80, 90 yards rushing, it's, it's tough. It, again, like it wasn't the greatest game. That's not going to be one that goes in his personal highlights. But you know what? It, unfortunately, they didn't fumble that ball in the end. It might have been. Mm-hmm. The total story would have been like, oh, my gosh, look at this guy, the swagger that people criticize him for. He came back with confidence, game on the line, and three touchdown drives. I mean, we were that close to it really kind of being an epic situation. Yep. So, just so, really odd. Yeah. My, my second down, I'm going to start with – I'll try to go through this quick, but it's kind of a four, four points about one thing. And it's the first time we've ever said it. I have no doubt in my mind. I don't think either one of us do that this will get solved. But – this was the first time in the Mike Houston era that the Dukes have been outcoached and they were outcoached in at least four different areas. You know, they weren't outcoached in the national championship game last year. They dropped balls. They committed penalties. They had, they were out executed, out executed. Right. They had weird replays. They played a great team and not to mention, I I think Elon's a really good team, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. really good. Um, Probably better than anyone else in the conference. I guess we'll see what happens with Towson. But looking at the results from this weekend, I, I don't. I, I, this was not a fluke. Um, and JMU was outcoached in four areas. I mean, one, they have lost. I tried to justify it in my own mind, but they're not as aggressive as they have been. I think Houston has been, and, and I think with good reason, has been conservative at times, partially because he believes in the defense so much, but. They settled for three field goals, particularly one of those was a real settle, I think, when we thought they should go for it in the first, what was the first quarter, first quarter and a half. Um, you know, I'm one who always likes to go forward on fourth down, so I'll always be critical of this, but they were not aggressive, and then Elon runs the onside kick and steals a possession. And, and not only were they not aggressive with the decisions, right? I, I know it, it's cliche, and and fans, mm-hmm. when, when things go south, what do fans usually do? We criticize the quarterback. We criticize, we, we the, criticize coach. the coach. And yeah. so we criticize the play calling. Mm-hmm. And we're, kind of, we're going to stand up for the quarterback, but you and I are going to fall in the trap and, and, do the, and criticize the other two. Yeah, players. yeah. And not only did they make bad decisions, but it reminded me of Mickey Ball. It did. With, with the play calling. Like, the red zone execution is bad. The red zone play calling it might be worse. Yeah. You know, it's like this run into the line, run into the line throw an ill-timed fade right you know it's just it's not getting it done no and that's part of my second point on this is just that i know i mean houston every team in football every coach anywhere will tell you this at any level and houston more than anyone believes in this you got to run the football you got to stop the run jam you could do neither of those this weekend and they stuck with that and then when they got down by eight but two scores so to speak in the fourth quarter they turned, you know, they had nothing to lose and they turned it loose and they were unbelievable for three yeah. possessions in a row. And they are the, the sort of, it's, it just became clear to me, nobody at this level can cover Riley Stapleton and Kendall Dean on the outside. And if you can't run the ball, it's, you got to be more aggressive to switch to what you can do. And I just don't know who's going to cover these two guys one-on-one in this level. So I think that's the second part of that is just, pass when you need to pass um 
you know. The other the other thing, Todd, mm-hmm. and this goes back to something you said about not being able to see the full routes on television. Yeah, so that's tough. Yeah. If if we're wrong, people correct us. But it did seem to me like in the first half, mm-hmm. they were throwing a lot of like button hooks and curls and stuff where they were hitting receivers where they were standing still. Mm-hmm. And I thought one of the differences, now maybe it was just those were the check down routes and we couldn't tell from television, but it seemed like when those drives started going, they were hitting guys in stride. Mm-hmm. And, and like, like the, the quicker passes where you get a guy like Kendall Dean, who was just downright dangerous mm-hmm. when he gets the ball with, with a head of steam. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, Riley's kind of a big body can go up and get those catches, but he also can get some yards after the catch as well. So it seemed like it was a little bit different, like maybe a simplified passing game where they're just hitting guys on like quick little slants and things like that, which seems so much more effective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that drive when they got down eight and they got to third and long and they throw that deep ball to the same corner of the end zone or same corner of the field, at least to Riley and Riley just goes and gets it and then makes a play after the catch. Extremely reminiscent of being down eight against Weber state last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously they tried for the Trey Sharp two point conversion, which was just short as opposed to the Weber state game. Um, yeah. But you know, that that immediately it's just you saw that and when JMU got the ball back the next time I thought they're gonna win this game and when they got it back the third time and started rolling I mean they were in rhythm and I I think that'll be one thing I'm looking forward to next week is hopefully out of all the sort of down I I don't know whatever happened this weekend you know there was some rhythm in the passing game in the fourth quarter and maybe they can take that forward with them my last two on the coaching was just clearly I mean Elon had JMU's playbook down yeah. Before and after halftime. You know, we've been so high on halftime adjustments. But, man, I mean, they seem to know what plays we were running, you know, more than more than more often than they did not. So that, that was one for sure. And then the use of the timeouts in the second half, um, you know, Houston and company have had the luxury that JMU has been so good that they have been able to treat timeouts like, a, you know, <laughs> a disposable resource at times. Uh, this is not probably the first time that they've done this, but it hasn't come back to bite them like it did this time. They, you know, in the second half, they used a timeout on the two-point conversion when they had scored to be down by two in the fourth quarter. I, I don't understand. Like, you're yeah. going for two there. You know, that yeah. was a waste of time. And then they used a timeout on defense because they're not organized or whatever. Maybe they saw something. But, you know, it would have been a, for everybody getting on Danucci about the last interception – that drive is a lot different if he's got a second or a third time out in his pocket and a minute and 14 to work with than the way that they had to sort of, you know, I think they felt like they couldn't throw certain plays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of that, you know, the lack of aggression, the timeouts, the game planning, and the, you know, sort of inability to see we got to abandon this running game that is not working. We're not getting any push and, and move to the pass game was just – and I'm sure they're, they're the first ones who will say it. Rob and I don't know. I mean, we're not experts on this. They're way ahead of us. We've been saying that for two years. But that was a rough game. And, and it wasn't just the players who dropped balls or committed penalties or couldn't stop Elon from getting to whoever they wanted to get to. So what about you, Rob, for third down? Uh, I, I guess this one is a little bit more of a question, or maybe it bleeds into our concerns. Yeah. But do we need to pump the brakes on this being a great defense? Hmm. Like I, I, I'm not saying they're terrible, mm-hmm. but we're basing this largely off of what was a pretty inspired performance against the run and uh, against NC State. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh yeah, that was terrific. Well, maybe looking back, 
NC State didn't didn't really need to run the ball much. No, because they were picking guys apart. So, but we kind of had that built-in excuse, like, oh well, that's you know future NFL quarterback and first game and ten new starters and so on and so forth. Then we saw them crush some really really bad teams, but we did see them last week, certainly against Richmond. They, they were susceptible to some big plays. Now it didn't matter because Richmond shot themselves in the foot so many times. Mm-hmm. But it appears like there's the book out on them now, where Elon was going over the top of this pass defense. Mm-hmm repeatedly mm-hmm. and it wasn't like situations where they were just taking receivers and having them pull riley stapleton and go up and get it right they were getting two or three steps on our guys yeah um d'angelo amos made a couple kind of game saving type tackles mm-hmm. they weren't game saving because we lost anyway but <laughs> but you know you had guys coming out of nowhere um to save these big games i think they had seven plays of, of 30 plus yards yeah so it was just it was really weird. So you're, you're susceptible to the big play in the pass, which, again, kind of reminded me of Mickey Ball. Mm-hmm. We'd have these great defensive games and then three or four plays, and, and it would change it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you're like, okay, it's isolated to, to the passing attack. But then the second half, Summers just killed them mm-hmm. when it mattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It, just, it, it was really concerning. You know, There are a number of times they could have stepped up. Um, in the end, they had to step up, and they couldn't stop. Summers gave up another huge play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were terrific on third down. Mm-hmm. I think Elon was one. Yeah, they made some big plays. Yeah. But it doesn't matter when you give up nine point two yards per play on first downs. That's right. You know, I mean that that's that's just crazy. I mean, yeah. that's just give, just letting them move the chain. So I don't know. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of talent on this defense, um, but I'm I'm a little bit concerned. Not that they're not talented or the scheme doesn't work, but that there's the book out on them now. And, and people understand you beat them top, you beat them over the top, and it's going to open things up for the running game. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, you and I, same thing. We thought they looked really shaky against Richmond mm-hmm. and they blew them out, but this made it look two games in a row. Now we're looking at a trend, not a fluke. Yeah, I, I, I will say though, I, I'm not, I'm not going to pump the brakes yet. <laughs> and my thinking on this is kind of twofold. One is we have a young defense. I mean, this is a defense that replaced eight to nine starters, depending on your how you count those things from mm-hmm. last year, the beginning of the year. They played healthy and played a great game against NC State. And then they've had four weeks of thinking they're the best defense in the country. And there's a lot of young players who thought that going in when they had played four terrible teams, as opposed to Elon, who had played out-of-conference games against much stiffer competition. Um, that's sort of the first thing. It's just I, I think there is some of this – we got to screw our heads on straight because I thought Jamie was flat across the board from the players this week. Um, but the second, and the second thing, and this is a kind of a concern, but also something that could be fixed in time is that this was one that Jamie has been a little bit thin in the interior of the defensive line and at the linebacker position. And this was a week where that really, really showed up. They really, McGinley's really absence was notable. Yep. And they really missed Adiba Tarawa. Um, at defensive tackle, you know, Paris Black made a ton of plays in the first half, but he's not, he's a guy they've moved. He's a young player. Who's not huge, who they've moved in from defensive end to defensive tackle. And even when he was making those plays, you know, he was making them, but he was also getting trucked a little bit. And in the second half, when they had to start rotating and they really, without a deed in the middle to go along with green, whenever they had to sub out, Holloway or Keyshawn Moore, you could really see that that really that drop off really hurt them. They had a young a couple of young players. I think on the long summers run, a couple of young players got caught out of position there. You know, I, I think those are things that can be corrected a little bit. 
And oh, I yeah. hope with help. It was great to see Darius Carter really put an imprint on a game who's coming back off the early season suspension, you know. So I, I think they're a little thin in spots, but I don't think we should pump the brakes just yet. I'll say this, Rob. I would be shocked if anyone, save maybe Towson, scores 27 points again on JMU in the regular season. Just looking ahead at the schedule. That doesn't mean JMU's going to win all those games. Certainly yeah. not if they don't run the ball the way that they didn't run the ball this week. And but, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is a terrible defense. It is not. It is, mm-hmm. a, it is a good defense. But people have been acting like it's this I – mean, it's like it's last year's defense. And it's yeah. not. It, it's the same thing that I just said with Danucci. Like, it's not fair to compare Danucci to an all-time great. It's not fair to compare any defense to last year's defense. No. I mean, that, that was a great – this could be a good one. And while I think all of your points are really good mm-hmm. – to me, it's kind of like you're giving me the reasons why, the, why it's not <laughs> yeah, I'm not blaming anybody. Right. I'm not saying like, oh, it's it's just it, the idea that we were going to go through and continue to put up, you know, have Jimmy Moreland outscore the really good teams is crazy. Yeah. That's not going to happen. So, so we need to adjust. Like, there's nothing wrong with being a defense. You can be a, a really good defense and give up two or three touchdowns a game. Last mm-hmm. year, you gave up, what, a touchdown and field goal? There right. were 10 points. That yeah. was great. I think we need to adjust the bar. Now, the other thing is with what we were talking about with young young players and kind of mm-hmm. needing to build in this depth. Well, that's what we saw two years ago. At this point in the mm-hmm. national championship, that's season, a very good point. It, it wasn't even. I mean, it was maybe an average defense. Right. So, like, I, I just think we need to maybe recalibrate a lot of things after this mm-hmm. week, um, and the defense is one of them. You know, yeah, it, and it, I think that's a place where they can grow. Right. I mean, yeah. the guys like. Mateo Jackson, like D'Angelo Amos, they have room to grow in this defense. They're getting, you know, Charles Tutt played a little bit this week. They're getting some of their guys back. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they get Landon Word back for a little more depth at linebacker at some point. I, I think they, I think there's room still for growth. I mean, I, I'm not that down about this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not you know? down on it either. I just think I, yeah, I, I just think I, I, I need to, I can't be shocked if they give up two or three touchdowns in a game. And no. I think maybe I'm sure the coaches know this better than we do, but maybe that changes some of the ways they haven't been as aggressive. It, what you were saying earlier about the play calling, I think is valid. And last year, the fans, we got a little bit confused, but Houston seemed content. Nothing. He had that much yep. confidence in yep. the defense and it proved to work for the most part. That's not going to work with this defense. That's not to say they can't make plays when they need to. They have, and they can, and they will. That's not mm-hmm. to say they, they might not have games where they shut them down, but you can't count on it and continue to settle for field goals and go two for six in the red zone in terms of right. touchdowns and expect yeah. to come out of the CAA schedule unscathed. Well, and you can't do what they did this week, which is take points off the board with penalties. You know, yeah. They had a couple of big returns um, and, and had them come back, and that's the kind of you – know, I think that's also like last week against Richmond. JMU – like Richmond moved the ball well, but – it kind of the, you know, the game got out of control because of some plays that weren't necessarily just offense defense plays. Yeah. You know, um, there were runbacks and there were interception returns. And this week, you know, D'Angelo Amos had a return called back. I mean, they had a couple of those big plays, and I think that helps you. Wayne Davis. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely helps. Yeah, Wayne Davis had a good game this week. I thought, but uh, did a great game. Yeah, yeah, but it, but I think that's that. You know, JMU gets to play in control of the time and score. That helps the defense a lot, and they didn't do that this week. I will say on those passes over the top, Rob, most teams don't have a Davis cheek. 
Um, no. You know, not not like the most highly touted quarterback, but a veteran who who is also capable of hitting the throws. You know, I'll have to see Villanova and Stony Brook's quarterbacks prove to me they are both veterans, but I will have to see them reprove to me that they can hit those throws over the top. I, the I have yet to be impressed with those guys. Right, in the exactly. Past. Um, Flacco does. Yeah, Flacco is a different peak, story. Peak, I think. peak my interest a bit. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll get there. And I'll end on a one positive note to take away from this game. Um, I know this is a minor one, but it, it really stood out to me. One thing that really kept JMU in this game was the kicking game. And I mean that in the sense of all three specialists. Uh, you know, Harry O'Kelly did mostly what Harry O'Kelly does, particularly at the, out on that, if you remember the one where Danucci was called down, he bombed that thing. Yeah. You know, out of there to flip the field after that when it could have been a really depressing time. So, you know, it didn't turn out great because Elon turned around and Marcus Summers ran up the gut. But that I thought it was a good game from the punter. Obviously, Ratke hitting the field goals. He was given a lot of opportunities, some of which maybe as fans we wish he was not given. But he was very consistent. And Tyler Gray, a name we haven't mentioned in a while, he did kick off a lot with all those field goals. And I don't know that Elon really returned to kickoff. He put two or three in the end zone, and the other ones, I think, JMU actually, it looked like that maybe they're schematically, they tried to not put them in, like they tried to force Elon to make the fair catches, and they did. So I just thought all three of those guys continue to be a, a, a positive for JMU. And for all the other mistakes in this game, um, if JMU can continue to limit the mistakes and continue to be consistent in the kicking game, I think that will really serve them well as they keep going forward. And I think we both thought at the end, you know, we just love to see Radke or Greg get a shot right on that last drive. Yeah. So and contrast that with Elon, which would they miss? Right. Two kicks? Who, right. Who missed a couple of kicks? Yeah. yeah. And I, which I think, was bound to happen mm-hmm. in college football. So mm-hmm. it is. It's a. It's a very good point. You know, that is something we can. Uh, we're kind of. You don't want to rely upon it. There's always no, no, things no. go bad, but they're pretty darn consistent. Yeah. So, Rob, you. Um, I guess I'll start it off, off, off on our concerns heading into next week. Uh, big game up on the main line at Villanova this weekend. Another early start. I, I think just for me, I mean, we could get into, look, offensive line, they had a crappy game. I don't know what to say, right? They tried to rotate in a few more players. It looked like the coaches were searching for an answer. It wasn't there. We, Rob and I are not astute enough uh, football nerds to know whether that was scheme and game plan. And, and it was truly Elon had the, you know, the plays read or it was bad play up front. Uh, same thing on the defensive line. You know, Jamie got run over a little bit. Uh, I, I don't, Elon's a hard nosed, tough, big ass team. <laughs> and we're not going to see a ton more like that. Uh, but my big concern is just the mindset of the players. I really hope that they are, doing what we're all doing, which is kind of recalibrating, resetting their mind and being, you know, they don't need to be angry, but they need to dig down. And, you know, this is a gut check time for them. They're playing the same style of defense against Villanova, that three, three, five that they saw this week and that they did not move the ball well against. They have traditionally not moved the ball well against Villanova and that set up. So I, I just think they need to be willing to do the work and to not sort of point fingers at each other. I, I just – I can't look around the JMU roster. There's still more talent on this roster 
than any other team in this conference. And I, I don't, I don't mean that to be a purple glasses guy. And I don't mean that to make excuses, but I just hope their mindset is, all right, let's start a new street. Let's go get this done. And, and not what the hell has happened to us. The whole world has come crashing down because all of our fans are upset and everyone's yelling at each other, you know? So that, that's, well, I, yeah. I don't have any reason to believe that won't no. happen. I think that's how you have a program you know, not lose at home for three years. Mm-hmm. It, it's a guy like Mike Houston who can put that, you know, mentality uh, into the program and beyond you know, the players. His comments in the press conference and then kind of in today's um, oh, good. Think... call, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he made comments like he didn't throw anybody under the bus. He didn't pull like a Mickey or an Everett and just, well, players didn't execute. But he, he made comments of like, well, that's what we've been telling him. We've been telling him how tough it is. And you almost got the sense that maybe there was some complacency yeah, that, that had built into things, and mm-hmm. maybe the team had maybe you know been reading its own press clippings, and mm-hmm. I, so I'm gonna go and I'm what it's usually doom and gloom and negative, but <laughs> I actually think this is probably an ideal situation. If you're going to lose, have it happen now, yep. refocus, go into these next games, um, God willing, you know you, mm-hmm. you you then win some games, go into the playoffs with some momentum, proving to yourself that you can take a real punch and bounce back last year's team. I, I thought going into the playoffs without a loss was almost kind of scary. It was, you know, they, yeah. they had to come back and came out a little bit flat against Weaver. It looked like it was going to be over. Um, they proved to be talented enough and determined enough to, to get it done. But I don't know. Sometimes losses can be a good thing mm-hmm. if they come and, and people react the right way. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to react the right way. I don't think this is the type of team that, kind of curls up and, and cries and goes home. I think they're going to come back better. I think we saw it, you know, save one mistake in that fumble. We'd be talking about, wow, you know. This, this yeah, they took a punch. Right? They took a punch and had their maybe C or D game for three quarters mm-hmm. and then just flipped the switch and started just making plays. And I don't know if that quarter. would have been the best message for the team, for a young team, right? No. I mean, in, in the like, end. It, it, they're not the Golden State Warriors. No. They, they can't just flip the switch in mm-hmm. the playoffs and run away from people. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do that in the CAA. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I My big concern is just that it only gets tougher. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it gets yeah. – I mean, I, I just – I don't know. I got a sense that Elon – and looking at South Florida continue winning, which is their one loss, Elon's legit. And it pains me to say that living down here and making fun of Elon all these years. But I, they, they're kind of – we talked – I wrote this in the preview. The one thing that Elon does and the one team that JMU has really struggled with is a really talented grinding team. Yeah. You know, North Dakota State, we've seen that. Um, Weber a little bit. You know, but th- that is the kind of team that JMU really has given JMU fits, and I think Elon is that mold. It's not – the Maine or the Rhode Island or the Towson who's high flying. Now we'll see Towson may be, may be for real, um, but it's not those teams. And I'm just not, as you and I said, I, we're not yet convinced. You're right. I mean, the schedule is brutal right now. Especially I just think with, it's, it's not that anybody's going to be heads and shoulders better than Elon or even at the same level as Elon. Right. But it's just, it's one thing to kind of go in with a couple easy tune-ups and then Elon. Oh, wow. But now it's like boom, 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 boom. They're no, they're four and games. two, and the five games they have left are all legit games or yeah. appear to be real deal games. Real I mean, missing deal Albany, games. missing Maine, you know, those are games that – missing Delaware who looks lost 
right yeah. now. Um, um, Knight is back for New Hampshire. Yeah. So even the New Hampshire game, game, game looks like a game again. Um, certainly the next two weeks are going to be grinders with, uh, or the next two of the next three weeks with the buy in between Villanova and Stony Brook. I really just hope, Rob, I just hope they can, if they can win this game this weekend, I think one of our pals said, if they can win by one point this weekend against Villanova and get to the bye, that would be, you know, this, it's just this week for me. You know, if they can get to that bye at five and two and sort of get another chance to refocus, I, th- I think they, I don't know, I feel, I feel, I would feel a lot better about things. So it's, it's just funny because last week we were talking about how we really wish people could approach <laughs> us as not just everything is a precursor to Frisco. And mm-hmm. boy, boy, did we get our wish. You know, now it's like, ooh, it's, it's, it's tough every week. This is a battle for the playoffs. And yeah. I don't want people to hear that and say, oh, you know, the, the guys bail. They don't think it's a playoff team. No, we do. Mm-hmm. We do. And I think they still have a shot at a seed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is no foregone conclusion. You know, they're yeah. going to need to battle their way in. They're going to need help. From somebody's yeah. going to need knock off Elon, or right. maybe it's a situation where other you know other schools lose and JMU and Elon can play themselves into a seed. So right. I don't know, but it, it is it is tough. <laughs> My big concern is the red zone. Yeah, the the, the lack of aggressiveness. Um, two what was it two touchdowns and six strips in the red zone. Luckily, we've got kickers who nail it, so we're mm-hmm. four from four in field goals. But um, I don't know. That's that's been a little bit troubling for weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was always troubling us in terms of like what's going to happen when they play a good team and they really can't afford to miss out on those opportunities. Well, we saw it Saturday; they're going to lose, mm-hmm. um, and they got to find a way to at least punch it in. You know, one more time a game. I don't know what I don't even know what a great red zone number is. Right, right. But settling for field goals eighty percent of the time or is not it. Well, and I think settling for field goals with the talent they have out there, right? I mean, if you're going to throw fades. Throw the fade on first down to Riley. Don't throw, Don't it, on throw it on third, third down coming. to Josh Sims or, you know, like yeah. that's not the play. And we're, you know, if you're going to use, if you're ever going to use Percy in the slot or put him on the field, this is the place to get him out there. You know, um, I, I don't know. I, I think there, I, I have a feeling, I, I'm kind of excited because I do have a feeling, you know, James, the players have talked a good game and the, and the red zone kind of brings this up. The players have talked a good game all year about being hungry. And sometimes maybe I've wondered, are they just hungry to replay North Dakota state? And are we yeah. overlooking everything before then? And oh, I, I think, think, I think, I yeah. think they probably were. I and think I that's am what kind of was excited to. to see a group that refocus, I hope can refocus and be angry. The play angry every single week now and realize the work it takes, the work you have to put in, week to week to get back to the chance to that second chance, you know, not taking anything for granted. This was a lousy weekend as a fan. It was a lousier weekend for the players and coaches, Mm -hmm. but we might've been given a gift in a weird way. And that it is now really exciting football. Yeah. Um, I was at the caps game last week and I was talking to our buddy (laughs) Gaster and he was talking to Jamie football. And he's like, I gotta be honest with you. He's like, I've tried to watch past couple games and I turn it off. He's like, it's not compelling. They're right. beating people too badly. Mm-hmm. People laugh. They're like, oh, how could you be upset with that? The casual fan mm-hmm. tunes in to a 50 because, oh, wow, cool, my school crushes. And then they flip the channel and they go do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, people get excited for the Weber State type games, the, the hard fought comebacks. Yep. You know, we're going to have a bunch of those. This Villanova game, I'm way more excited about this Villanova than I yeah. would be had they won. 
And I know yeah. that sounds stupid, but it's just, there's more on the line. Yeah, like, I have I, to say, I, no, I kind of like cleared my schedule like today, yeah. like in a way that I would not have otherwise, right? I mean, I, I really thought about, okay, where am I going to be? How am I going to watch this? How am I going to plan my Saturday? You know, yeah. like in a different way than I, I mean, even this past week, even in, in a different way than I have been doing when I'm not at the game in person. Yeah, yeah like I, I don't know these guys. No, no. Watching them play, I can't imagine a guy like Marcus Marshall or Cardon Johnson um, is just sitting back or, or Jimmy Moreland are going easy on guys at practice this week. Nope. I've got to imagine the intensity is up to maybe that playoff-type level. Mm-hmm. And, geez, if, if, they can, if they can get it rolling, yeah. God, help, God help the other teams on, on the schedule. That's so how I said, feel. There, yep. There's more talent. Yeah, there's if they're going to go 9-2, and two, it's probably better to lose the second one now than the last game of the season, certainly than anything after the end of the season, if they're fortunate enough to get there. Correct. You can play Although I think you made track. a good point. <laughs> Yeah. Last week we were talking about where can they go? How do we get to Frisco? And this week we're talking about they could go to Frisco and win the whole thing, and they could not make the playoffs. They could be outside looking in. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. You got anything else there, Rob, that you're really concerned about? No. Like I said, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird. I was upset. I'm not as upset as I thought I'd be. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I, I think this is going to refocus them, and I think this is probably the the one kick they needed to really start exploiting that talent advantage that they have. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good. Oh, so I guess that takes us to overtime tonight. Um, we want to give a special uh, shout out to, I, I think it's John, at John Paul Twitter or some version of Twitter. He's bothered us with this the last couple of weeks. We appreciate it. <laughs> I said bothered, but I, we mean that in the best way. Yeah. Um, we got a lot of great overtime topics, mainly because you put that out earlier in the day and we remembered about that today, which is great. Uh, but this has been a really fun one. And Rob and I both said, after this week, we need to look forward to next week and get refocused. And we need a little comfort, JMU comfort food. And his idea was if we had a time machine and we had one, it could go back and we had one punch to use, <laughs> one dining punch to use, what would we use it on? So I don't know what you were thinking, Rob. I'll let, I'll let you go first. Oh, man. I, I don't know. This one is kind of hard for me. And I, believe it or not, I was – Do you think we can going... we include D-Hall? Like, or should we not include D-Hall? Like, like that's what I, I – I mean, I, it's going to be D-Hall. Yeah, yeah, right. The, it's got to be D-Hall, right? Yeah, it's got to be D-Hall. I, believe it or not, I was strongly considering Mrs. Green's for lunch. Because he was like – I guess the way he phrased it is, you have time machine, you only have one more punch. When and where would you eat? I really liked lunch at Mrs. Green's. Okay. Um, I don't know why. I liked the lemonade, which mm-hmm. seems dumb. <laughs> Might have been country time or something. I like that raisin bread, raisin bread stuff. Mm-hmm. This is totally foreign to you because you weren't on the side of campus. You're <laughs> up on the quad. But this is like oh, if no, you're but in I lived in school, Eagle, and mine's actually my, okay. my one punch is going to be over there too. So yeah. So well, I was thinking about that, and then I was like, would it be a loophole if with my one last punch I got a double punch? But that seems kind of. <laughs> That's like asking a genie for three more wishes or something. Right, right. Um, I've talked at length about my love for Amigos and the Steakhouse, but they're not really time machine worthy. Right. You can get better steak and better yeah. Mexican pretty much everywhere. That's correct. But you got to go D-Hall. So it's just a question of what you're going to order. Okay. And for me, it's it's not one specific. You know, it's not like – I don't even know what Buffalo Mash is. I'm so sick of people tweeting us Buffalo Mash, Buffalo Mash. Uh, yeah. They might as well just – they just call us old and like kick us down the hill in our walkers <laughs> right. or something. I don't know what they're talking about, but I would actually go just for the, it, the 
the style of meal and deal, which would be the extended two-hour grazing around buffet style. <laughs> or like, maybe you get wing dings, which, you know, weren't great in terms of... Yeah, but you could take wings. a bowl of ranch there. You could take a like, bowl yeah. of them. And, and, or I was a blue cheese guy. Blue yeah. cheese or Texas yeah. Pete, all that. I was a big fan of the stir fry to mix it up, oh. like make my own. Mm-hmm. And then I loved kind of taking the break after like my second entree and getting some fruity pebbles mm-hmm. or or uh, Lucky Charms. Get one of those, kind of mix it up, and then kind of wait wait for the next crew to come into our table, <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, and then I maybe get that. some ice cream. Yeah. I, I was a big fan. I thought it was underrated. The sandwich bar. I would always kind of end if I did these long meals. I'd always get like a good roast beef sandwich. Okay. Um, and then you just end with with the ice cream and made yeah. not only a bowl of ice cream, but one of the ice cream, like the good humor bars. Oh, okay. Or make a and milkshake. Then some, yeah. Or make a milkshake. That would be good, too. Or make a pledge. A root beer float. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Root beer float. Um, I don't know. So that'd be, and then you'd roll me home. But just it, for me, it'd be more about the extended grazing, spending an hour and a half, two hours with my friends at D Hall. So I realized today that there ha- I, I thought a lot about this. And Rob, I think you're exa- that is the exact right answer. And I was trying to think, like, okay, what in the non-D Hall category would be there? And I actually found, I did Google, there is a... Uh, a, a somewhat scholarly paper called The History of Dining Services at JMU by Dr. Danielle Tariski of the Health Ooh. Sciences Department Dietetic Program. Um, this was published in July 2007. It features a quote from old friend of the pod, Mandy Bradley. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, I, I was just laughing. It's not well written. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of, the funny thing is there are like 35 pages devoted to sort of pre-run carrier dining era you know the early jmu stuff and then everything else is a little bit quicker and and there's obviously a ton of change in the last 30 years or so i I did notice there are some places i didn't ever know about rob i thought like i never for any older dukes that listen to this we never went to top dog or pepe's Uh, we certainly never had beer at oh pepe's i think was the precursor to amigos or something okay yeah i think they just named it different yeah, there oh, was a part when Duke's was like Duke's Grill, and they definitely had beer. I mean, I, I know you could get beer in D Hall too, and that, this talked about that. But there was actually like a night, a pitcher night at Duke's Grill. And I, <laughs> Rob, I know you became a door four subs person when we were there. Um, yeah, but there was. I was trying to look. What I was really looking for was the menu of Lakeside Express. So in its later years, after Rob and I, Lakeside became an, a lunch only place over there in the bottom of whatever it was, oh, sort of near Mrs. Green's. Um, um, but when we were there, it was a night. The place that just got, that just got torn down. Yeah, it was like, it, yeah. And it was Chop, Chandler. Whatever. Or Chandler? Ch- Ch- no, 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 I'm messing up. Yeah, probably Chandler. But um, it was just pizza and subs. And there was a particular sub that was really good. And in my mind, it's some kind of like a roast beef slash pizza sub. Mm-hmm. Um, but I lived in Eagle freshman year. And I was not particularly... I don't know. That was like the ultimate comfort food. And I was just thinking back of anything I remember having really warm memories about. And that is it. I I was not particularly good at anything (laughs) my freshman year, (laughs) particularly not scholarship or academics of any kind. Um, I I really wasn't good at like going out, even like doing anything in particular. But I (laughs) definitely loved going to Lakeside with my roommate at the time and getting subs in the evening. And uh, yeah, that was just one. I, I couldn't believe there's this paper out there by some professor from JMU about the history of dining services at JMU. So. I, I almost went lakeside. Okay, yeah. I, I so, loved going there Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. Like, 
we'd go get that and then watch X Files. Yeah. <laughs> which really that were really you know, old yeah. dates things. Yeah. No, they had like a croissant sandwich too that was really good. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, that, well, I think they had like a, you know, some type of a griddler, right? A foreman cooker. A, yeah. You know, I don't know what it's called, but, you know, the a, a panini, press. A panini press of some kind. Right. And that was how they yeah. made the sandwiches so much different than most other places. Um, and they did pizza as well, but I don't remember anything about that. I, I laughed thinking about pizza peddlers. I, peddlers with my last punch. No, that was, I would it was order like, it with Gassner's last punch. But. Yeah. Pizza Peddlers was like knockoff DiGiorno. Right. Oh, that's awful. It just was cool that you had, you had a classmate pedal. For anyone younger than us, they had a thing where there was like a bicycle on-campus pizza delivery service that you could use dining dollars for. And it lasted for about two years until too many of the bicycling peddlers were accosted yeah. were robbed in some way or for their pizza for their pizza or and or yeah whatever yeah exactly <laughs> so that's probably one of the worst ideas ever at jamio but yeah it wasn't great no but i think that about takes us to the end you got anything else rob no just in a weird way like i said really excited that they're playing meaningful football now which wish it didn't come about through a loss but i'm, I'm more exciting yeah I am too. And again, we're brought to you by Pale Fire. Uh, go get your Pale Fire. Come see us the night before homecoming. That's the next next home game. It's three weeks out now. Uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing everybody, hopefully catching up with a lot of people that we can. And definitely tune in next week. We're really, I, I, I know we're both really excited about this guest. I think it's going to give us a chance to not only talk about some old days JMU stuff, um, but some current football and maybe even look into the winter sports a little bit. So really excited about a, a new guest that we have not had on the pod before. So Rob, with that, I will talk to you next week. Let's get back on the winning track. Hopefully the Dukes will be five and two next week. Yeah. Have a good week, everyone. All right. Go Dukes.